Welcome to Tuesdays with Andrea. It's the inspiration station for everyday people guiding humanity forward. I'm your host, Andrea Rios McMillan, and every week I pursue conversations that matter with people who can relate to the common struggles we all face. You'll get to know the person behind the profession and find commonality with people of all ages, cultures, and backgrounds. Listen as friends, neighbors, and coworkers offer meaningful, personal explorations of modern life and the values we hold dear, all for the purpose of strengthening and uplifting others. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to Tuesdays with Andrea podcast. Today, we have Ozzy Gramada Meza. He's Director of Membership and Research at the Latino Corporate Directors Association, and you have a background in direct corporate experience as well as entrepreneurial experience. Uh, and you've developed your expertise in boutique and Fortune 50 organizations and built the award-winning Gromeza Design Studio focused on small to mid event production. Ozzy also co-founded the Mac and Cheese Fest in Chicago, which is the first ever food festival solely dedicated to celebrating the dish, which is what I'm so glad you did that, Ozzy, (laughs) Uh, that drew over 4,000 visitors a year. And then also a member of the Strategic and Competitive Intelligence uh, Professionals and Ozzy and his husband are the proud parents of twins and enjoy traveling. So thank you for joining, Ozzy. <laughs> when you read that uh, uh, biography, it kind of makes me wonder, like, what the hell was he doing? <laughs> <laughs> well, I like your mac and cheese festival in Chicago. <laughs> Let's start there. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it is exactly what how you said. It's a food festival that was dedicated to celebrate this dish that you know, for me, and I know for a lot of people, reminds them of their childhood. I can't, I can remember it being one of the first dishes that I was able to do on my own. Mm. And, and Chicago is a foodie town. You know, they have margarita fast, they have bacon fast, and we felt that Mac and Cheese Fest needed its own premier event. And for four years, it was known as the largest mac and cheese festival in the U.S. Wow. So tell us about your background and and what you're doing with the Latino Directors, um, uh, uh, let me see if I get it right, Latino Corporate Directors Association. No, it's a a mouthful. Uh, So in terms of my background, I went to school at the University of Illinois in Urbana-Champaign, and I'm an Illini. I went there for undergrad and grad school. Uh, and I really wanted to focus in two parts of my brain, right? My left brain and my right brain. So on a business perspective, you know, I got my undergrad in business and management information systems, which really got me interested in the organization of information. You know, how is it collected? How is it disseminated? You know, how do people really resonate to information and how it's displayed, right? Is it in alpha order is it in buckets of information so that really resonated with me during my time in college and uh, that led me to my under my graduate program which is a master's in library and information science so i'm a librarian by trade um, that has made his way into executive search and entrepreneurship and in how i got there was very interesting i when i left college I went and worked at an executive search firm as a research manager, something that I never thought uh, I would find my place in just because you would think librarian, what would they do in an executive search? Yeah. Did you work as a librarian for a few years? So there's different kinds of librarians. There's corporate librarians, there's 
public librarians, there's school librarians, there's very different flavors to what librarianism is. I did work at a library and I worked as a reference librarian at the University of Illinois for my graduateship. Okay. Uh, so I was a librarian. <laughs> I wasn't wearing glasses at that time, so I didn't fit Dang. the profile. I didn't have a bun or anything. And but I decided as a professional career that wasn't really where I wanted to focus my time. I have an undergrad in business. That was really what was driving me, like understanding how information relates to a corporate context. So as I was interviewing, I it was one of those kind of things. I, I met someone at a conference. They were speaking on executive search and how librarians play a critical role in it. And I kind of got intrigued. So I found uh, an opportunity that was available at the specific company where the person worked at. Uh -huh. And I became a, a research manager for an executive search firm and was focused on trying to identify prospects using research, using information. You know, if you have a request for uh, uh, an executive search, say, hey, Ozzy, I'm looking for all CFOs in top premier companies of over a billion dollars, right? So there isn't a magical database out there that would just, that any novice person can just push and a report comes pretty and nice and fancy. So my job was to identify where to find that information and then organize it in a way that not only the partner at the executive search firm understood, mm -hmm. but was able to communicate this with their client, right? So there was kind of like multiple eyes on this one document, this one initiative. And then, you know, once you do that, then you start finding these CFOs, right? How do you find them? They could be on the company website. They could be on a ranked list, you know, the top CFOs of the Midwest, right? But once again, who's going to go find that information? Yeah. So our job was to be the information gatherer to make the partner smarter and ultimately make the client happy and close the search. Mm -hmm. So that all was new to me. Um, I knew information, I knew research, but in the context of executive search was just uh, new. Anyways, as I move forward, that was pivotal in my upcoming years because I really tended to focus and be a subject matter expert in information as it relates to executive search. Mm -hmm. uh, after that, I worked for a big consulting firm called Mavian Consulting, and I was a, a research manager there. And that was more what we call broader business research. It was really great to have a better understanding of how consultants perceive information, you know, how is information used for uh, uh, litigation, because that's what um, this consulting firm dealt with. And then I realized I really loved the world of executive search and went back to it, that Allstate Insurance, a large Fortune 50, and help, helping define their executive search model internally and was considered the information subject matter expert, right? So I helped develop it, build it, it became award-winning, at a time where companies were getting rid of their research function, we were bringing it back. Mm. So that was really recognized as something that was very different. We grew the department from one researcher, myself, to we ended up having a team of eight. Wow. So that really grew. Uh, so, yeah, it really grew. So so it's very interesting. Once again, I find myself like, where, where, how did I get here, right? You know, as a, li as a librarian, I always go back to the librarian, <laughs> the librarian. Archivists are... are, are special people. I mean, we had an archivist at Allstate, the information she could retain and just reiterate and just like, it was always a story. As a librarian, you have to be a good storyteller, right? Because you're the one that gathers the information, that reads the documents. And your job is to really be able to tell them the story, right? Mm -hmm. and, 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 and filter all the detail and give them the cliff notes. Exactly. And then you always say, okay, these are the cliff notes. 
but then this is the rest of the documents. Here you go. You <laughs> Here you go. Through. You can read through them if you yeah, want. You know, corporate people are super busy. Yeah. Right? You know, and they need information filtered. Mm-hmm. So you're right. You're 100% right, Andrea. Librarians have to be able to tell a story if it's either on paper or verbally. It is totally true as an archivist or as an information specialist. Uh, and it's actually one of the things I, I admire in people. I admire storytellers. Mm. I think storytellers are so fascinating to me. I think it's a skill set that is very powerful and makes you stand out from one person to the next. So um if, hey, if someone considers me a storyteller as a librarian, I'll take You'll it. take it. And then you found your way back into executive research and then uh, eventually yeah. recruiting. And this is what I, I really wanted to connect with you on because I admire your work in this area. And we were connected. Shout out the Harveys if you guys are watching. <laughs> yeah, they're fabulous. It's a fabulous family. Yeah, they are. And he, he was the one. He's like, hey, here's Ozzy. He is doing some great work in helping people get executive positions in board and diversifying boards. And I feel like this is needed right now. And I'm all for having people with diverse backgrounds and skill sets and trying to diversify as much as possible. So share some of that work. How is that going right now? What are you, what are some challenges? How do you fill those roles? Sure, sure. Before I answer that question, I want to touch a little bit, a little, little, little on that five-year gap that I had in my executive okay. my professional career. And then we'll go back to it if we need to. Okay. But, uh, you know, as we were kind of, I was in the space as an information specialist, research manager in executive search, I really got to a point where I was uninspired, right? And in this world of, of information science, it's a really left brain, right brain kind of dichotomy that you're in, right? Like you have to be creative in the way that you tell your story. But you have to know the information. You have to be a, a, an information gatherer, a learner. And I felt a little bit uninspired at a point in my time, you know, when I was getting married and that was very exciting to me. And through that whole process, I really figured out that I really wanted to gravitate more to my right brain, my creative side. So I decided to leave my corporate job and create my own job. And that's where, as you mentioned earlier in the bio, where I created uh, an award-winning design studio that focused on corporate events and weddings, designing them. And they are gorgeous. Then, those, those pictures are beautiful. You have a skill set there. And then what's funny, you know, and I don't know if this is a, just something that people can take away from is, you know, I did that without a lot of, I didn't know how to do it, right? Did I you have training? No, no. I just threw myself in there. I literally threw myself in there and I decided to learn as I go. Really? But you have the eye. You obviously have an eye because you're able to, to visually, you can see the the work speaks for itself. It's, it's stunning. That's crazy. So no formal. So, so, you know, I didn't know, I I just threw myself in there, Andrea. And then I figured it out as I go. I never, I, I, you know, I was, was told sell it and figure it out, right? Like sell it, say you can do it and figure (laughs) it out. Luckily I had a posse. I had um, mentors knew I needed a fight or fight, you know, flight or fight, you know, kind of situation, fight or fight. Yeah. And I started building my mentorships. And then at that time I was like, you know, I'm going to figure out. So I did it for five years and I did hundred plus events and all premier events. And, and, uh, it was a great experience at the same time, you know, we were doing Mac and cheese fest. So yeah. Oh gosh. My whole right brain was just like in full on full gear. And, uh, that was really a pivotal time in my life because then it led me to where I'm at now. Also during that time, we, I also had twins. Okay. So I have a father of three and a half year old twins. So out of seven, that five-year period was uh, happening. And, and I just realized I needed to go back to 
my roots, you know, now that I have a family, I need a little bit more stability in my schedule. Yeah. And it led me back to where I'm at now, which is, you know, back into uh, recruiting. Yeah. Actually, back to right brain, left brain. What? So before, as a working in executive search, I was a research manager, right? So that dealt with a lot of behind the scenes strategic work, organizing information, storing it, all that stuff. And then now I have the benefit of doing both, not only being the director of mem- a research for Latino Corporate Directors Association, but as well, the director of membership. That means I have to recruit new members to the organization, um, onboard them, engage them, and really ensure that they are aligned to all CDA's mission, right? And a lot of that is relationship building. So I'm really, really focusing a lot of my right brain on that. And then what we've known and what is becoming true is that research in this space is immensely pivotal because it's not only informing and advancing our mission, but it's also informing our members in the conversation that they should be having with their peers at the board, with you, Andrea, with your friends. You know, if I threw out some statistics to you, you would be appalled as to the real state of Latinos on corporate boards. So now I really have the opportunity as a director of membership and research to really be able to do two things that I feel I'm decent at and even more that I'm doing it for our community. And what are some of those statistics? So and the Fortune 1000, which is, you know, a thousand of the largest companies based on revenue, we only make up 3.2% of the board seats. So imagine Latinos. Latinos, right? Latinos, and then encompasses Latinos and Latinas. So imagine 10,000 plus board seats that are in the Fortune 1000, and only 3.2% are dedicated or held by Latinos. Mm. That's just a number, right? But when you compare it to the, the population of Latinos in the United States, we're 18%, we're the largest ethnic minority in the United States of America, and we only hold 3.2% of Fortune 1000 board seats, mm. right? And then now, if you start looking at uh, a different index, the Russell 3000, that's another index. We only hold 2.2%, right? Once again, you compare that at, to the population, which we are the largest population at 18%. The next ethnic minority is 13%, which is African-Americans and Black. And they hold more seats than we do on the Fortune 1000 and the Russell 3000. And I'm not even gonna say what it compares to white Caucasian, right? That number is like crazy. So the other piece is now we talk about Latinas. Latinas comprise only 1% of the Fortune 1000 board seats. Wow. That's a hundred seats to Latinas, right? Mm -hmm. And then the other statistic that we've shown, and and I'm not gonna get into the minutia of them, but just overall is that with everything that's going on for the advancement of diversity at home, the social unrest and uh, you know COVID and um, the socioeconomic factors, what we're finding is though is that Latinas and Latinos are still being left behind. Mm-hmm. We're the bigger slice of the population, but we still have the least amount of board seats on every index out there. So our job at LCDA is to make people aware of what statistics are in hopes of them being able to amplify that, right? To take that information of knowledge is power, right? Now we can have a different conversation because a lot of the times we find that companies are just not aware of the disparity. And when you tell them, what's the reaction? Well, exactly. Oh, I didn't know. I didn't know. And are they 
willing to jump on ship in terms of recognizing the importance of diversity and specifically when it comes to more opportunities for Latinos? It's a mixed bag. Okay. Um, I think there is, there's plenty of articles out there that state that a lot of corporations are releasing fluff statements of diversity and their commitment to it. And they've always done the year over year. I will say that the needle has moved. The percentage of Latinos and Latinas on Fortune 1000 or other boards is trending up, but it's not trending quickly. Mm. So it's a mixed bag to answer your question. But I think at the end of the day, there needs to be an intention in making change happen because there is no requirement for it to happen. Meaning there is no law. There is one now, but there wasn't a law before requiring boards to diversify. What law is there now requiring boards? So to diversify? now there's actually two laws that were introduced in California. The first two laws that were introduced in California related to this. There's other states that are slowly following suit, but in California, there was two of them. One was SB 826, which was a gender bill. The gender bill required public corporations in California to include women on their boards. That was signed into law in 2018. And it was amazing. The number of women on boards in California skyrocketed, skyrocketed. So we know that legislation is powerful in, in advancing because we don't want it to be the reason, but it's becoming the reason why there is success. Okay. We can go to this one later, but well, I said it was great for women, SBA 26. Once again, research, our research, LCDA's research, uncovered that out of the, say, it was about 511 women that were appointed during a specific period of time. It was like October uh, 2018 to February 2020. 511 women were appointed. Only 3% were Latina. And then 78% were Caucasian white women. Mm -hmm. So now the debate is, well, SBA 26 was great on a gender perspective, but on a diversity perspective, it's not making strides, not making strides. So once again, the research unfolded that, hey, you know, hold up. When you consider these mandates, these bills, they have to be inclusive of not only gender perspective, but a diversity perspective. So that was a law that was that was put into place. Now we have AB 979, Assembly Bill 979 in California that will require public companies in California to diversify their board of directors with directors of underrepresented communities by December 31st, 2021. And those include Black, African-American, Hispanic, Latino, Asian, Pacific Islander, Native American, Alaska Native, uh, Native Hawaiian. There's, if you go into- Non-white, basically. Non-white, yeah, non-white, right? But they also, which is great, and something that I identified to as well, is they- uh, LGBTQ, that is also part of the bill. So not only is an ethnic and race perspective, but also LGBTQ was incorporated into the bill, which is amazing. Uh-huh. It was signed in September 2020 in California. And we are seeing progress on a diversity perspective, but LCDA is not going to let it go. Meaning we're going to be monitoring that bill, monitoring who is being appointed by race and ethnicity. And we recently released last week, the California boardroom equity scorecard and tracker to do that. So on a quarterly basis, we're going to keep pulse of what's happening in California because what we want to avoid is a year from now saying, what happened to Latinos and Latinas, right? Yeah. Like, what happened? You know, like, yeah. What happened? So for us to bring awareness and transparency, because once again, there is no law that requires companies to disclose the board composition of their board members. They don't have to tell us if they're Latino, white, 
black. They don't have to. They don't have There's to. no law. So the, the companies that do do it, do it because um, of their own volition, right? Their own because they want to. So we as an organization are now committed to ensuring that on a state perspective, we keep them responsible and accountable for ensuring that the law is inclusive of all ethnic and racial makeup, which mm. means diversity includes Latinos. And why only California so far? They've been always a more progressive state. Mm-hmm. California, uh, other states like Washington State passed a gender bill um, a couple of months after Illinois requiring companies to complete a survey to disclose race and uh, composition of the board. So I, that's what I do. There's just more progressive legislation. Got it. And, and, but, you know, as always, you need someone to start it. You need someone to create change and hopefully others follow. So is that how you see change in a in a major way happening is through legislation? Or is the goal for this to say, hey, this works. And then now hopefully we don't need it in the other states. You'll just take more of a, a transparent approach and an active approach in recruiting. Well, keep in mind that everyone will tell you reports have been uh, created, hundreds of them, regarding why it's important for boards to be diverse, for C-suites to be diverse, for employee bases to be diverse. It's a business imperative, right? A more diverse organization leads to better thinking, more inclusive strategies. So there's always been tons of research behind it, right? It's a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. So while all this information has always been out there, that's not the issue. The issue is it's not being done. It's not being executed. The intention is not there. And there are organizations that are intent. They have intention. They'll say, you know, the next board member, I want to see only Latino candidates or only diverse slate of candidates. And the reason it's happening is because they said it. They committed to it and they said it. So to answer your question, um, I don't know at what point a flip where legislation isn't required. I don't know if the intention is good enough, if it's uh, enough to create the change. I think legislation, unfortunately, is going to be the driver for it. We should expect more, I think. And what can we be mindful of? How can we help spread the word? And what is that message? Is the message only Latinos? Is the message for people of color? Is the message for people of different various backgrounds? That's a great question. So as I mentioned earlier, knowledge is power. I think just having this information and knowing Latino Corporate Directors Association as a resource, and there's plenty others out there, the Latino Donor Collaborative, does a lot of stats regarding Latinos' GDP, our purchasing power. So at a, at a minimum, I think just knowing the organizations and following them and leveraging the information that they share in your conversations is pivotal and will create a dialogue. In terms of when it comes to us as, you know, on the education perspective, Latinos or Latinas, we just have to be aware that there's life after, corp, you know, executive life, right? Or there's life, you know, this is another option to diversify and to advance our own education, right? I've heard many times where Latinos and Latinas don't know that there's uh, a world outside of executive life. Once I get to become a chief marketing officer, like I've made it, right? Or, you know, so I think just being aware that there's another uh, level or layer to your executive life, which is board service and being knowledgeable about that, is just good that, just knowing about that right? raises a good point, right? Because for a lot of people, a director position, a vice president position, it's pretty good. Like you made it. This is great. Oh, yeah. Why, why stress? But to your point, there is another position that's available, an advisory position where your voice is mm-hmm. counted with merit and has more weight. 
definitely has more strategic um, development opportunity. Uh, and a lot of people don't know about that or nor aim for that. When I went to college, I had to figure it out on my own, you know, and I know many Latinos, Latinas are probably facing the same situation where they have to figure out uh, on their own. And, and that's what's happening. Some people are not aware of board opportunities just because no one told them about it. You know, it's not something they, they there's many, there's many executives I've seen that are so deep in their industry and their functional roles mm-hmm. that they spend years and years perfecting it, perfecting it. And then they get to the point like, what next? Yeah. Right. And when it comes to board service, it's not like you flip a switch and then you just, okay, you start applying for board opportunities and then you get one. First of all, not everyone gets one, mm-hmm. right? Not everyone gets a board opportunity, you know, uh, but you want to start having that dialogue, dialogue or conversation sooner rather than later. So people around you are just aware of your aspirations. There's so many times that, that uh, members will say, well, I got on this board just because I told someone of my desire. Yeah. You know, they're, 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 they're executives and, and they, they've had, had long successful careers. So it's not like they have to tell their story again. They just had to tell someone in their network, Hey, yeah, I'm interested in board service. And then one thing, one conversation led to the next and led to the next. And then here you go. They're getting boarded. Keep in mind that two thirds of board opportunities uh, never go to an executive search firm because they're being uh, placed on the boards by their relationships. Mm-hmm. Right. One third still goes out to search firms where usually if a company doesn't have enough candidates in their own personal network or whatever the reason might be, um, they need to go to executive search. But that is something that's very imperative because your network is super important. Yeah. Your network is super important. If it's black, white, Asian, Locasea, the people around you need to know who, who you are and what your desires are. And the thing is you can't just push the conversation you can't be like hey i'm looking for a board it has to be organic right mm-hmm. check in like i'll call you hey andrea how you doing you know i just wanted to check in how's the family look at say you know i just joined latino corporate directors association they're a great organization that is focused on advancing and developing latinos for board service um so really getting involved with them like oh i didn't know you would want to be um on a board like oh yeah absolutely you know like and then people will be like hey wait there's an opening there's you know this. yeah like oh let me think that like they, if something come, comes across i'll keep you in mind you know um so there's that that i think we all should just as a community um be aware of um at the same time as as to ask you answer your question related should it be latinos or people of color at the end of the day i mean we need to diversify the board that any way we can, right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're supportive of our um, brothers and sisters that are African-American or you know, Asian, whatever it is. But we have to keep in mind that we also have to advocate for ourselves because no one else is going to do it. Mm. Uh, you know, There's many times I come across executive search firms or any network, they say, you know what? I have plenty of African-American or Black um, uh, referrals, right? You call one person, they give you 10. Yeah. Or 10 here, right? yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's what we need to do as Latinos. When they call you, Andrea, and say, Hey, Andrea, do you know anybody for this role? You should have your 10 Latinos ready to go. Oh, I'm right. So I have, have 10 Latinos. <laughs> yeah, like whatever it is. Like I have, yeah. And then and then just keep on building those databases, building those databases of talent. And, and that's what we have to just be prepared to do. And if if we don't do it, then we're going to be left behind because we are the only ones that sh- we're the source of information. I mean, they come to me all the time saying, "Hey, where's the database? Where's the database?" Yeah. Latino. 
Do you, I'm and like, do you guys well, have that database? Do you share that with other organizations? Like here's who's, um, looking and here's who's recruiting actively or in two years, there's going to be this position open up. How do you guys keep matching that supply with the demand? That's a great question. So Latino Corporate Directors Association, a little bit on that is, um, I mean, we're a new and dynamic association that has been really fully operational, operational since uh, 2016. And it was it's comprised of US Latinos that serve on publicly traded and large private company boards, as well as C-level and board aspiring executives, right? So we have two membership categories. We have director membership members who are experienced corporate directors and the ones that are gonna pave the way and you know, open, knock, knock on doors and uh, hopefully find new, uh, new opportunities for up and comers. And then we have a pipeline solution. So the C-level board aspiring executives, which we call the executive members, they're currently not on a board or not on a scalable board and they want to get on something bigger or a public company. So our membership in the last year has grown 50%, uh, which is insane. And it's continued to just grow and grow every year. So we are becoming the resource for companies, for private equity, for um, executive search firms to be the hub of talent, vetted talent. Mm-hmm. So now we have over, we'll be over 240 members by the end of the year. Next year, we'll probably grow another hundred. And the thing is, is that LCDA has become that resource. You can call, call us, email me and say, Hey, Ozzy, I have this great opportunity board opportunity looking for someone that's a qualified financial expert or a chief marketing officer from a consumer products um, company. Um, we'll love to tap into your membership. And that's our goal. Our goal is to connect you with our members to hopefully be the person that lands on board. So we are, we, we, we do have a database, uh, internal database with tons of information about our members. But if you go on latinocorporatedirectors.org, our website, we have our member directory accessible to anyone. Got it. That's very nice. Uh, how many people have you guys helped so far? That's a great question. So our reach is quite quite great. So our members have landed 40 plus boards thus far this year. And we either had direct connection to that, meaning we introduced the person that our member to the board opportunity. And then, you know, you, they, they take it from there and, or our advocacy or our research. I mean, it's all kind of like an ecosystem, right? Yeah. You know, uh, it could be that the chair, the chair gov of a company saw an article and said, Hey, you know what, we need to have Latinos on the board. And, and then something happens. So in, in our membership, we've had over 40 plus members land corporate public boards and our private boards. Um, and I think it's just overall the work that we've all been doing as a team. We're a small and mighty team. We have a communications ex, uh, lead. We have a, a uh, advocacy lead. So all the work that we're doing is leading to these results. Yeah, Which is incredible, right? To say that 40 people have now been able to have an influence of that magnitude and then have strategic direction for, you know, years coming down the road. Um, that's incredible. That's incredible work. Yeah. Yeah. It feels good. It feels really good. Yeah. I, this, this is the work that I was doing somewhat before I worked in a, a same a board governance consulting firm as a as a research lead, and I, you know, we were getting more requests for diverse pipelines. Mm-hmm. So I knew, you know, that's actually how I came across LCDA in my research. I was like, oh, I've never heard of this organization. I didn't hear about it before I met you. 
Yeah, and and I mean, that's we're a new organization, right? So uh, part of our success is uh, the newness, right? There's uh, we're filling a void. Um, so in my own research, I came to learn about LCDA and, you know, now I'm thinking to myself, well, I can do what I'm doing and apply it to our community yeah. and make progress where progress is needed. Yeah. And uh, it's been pretty, pretty powerful. It's been a great time. And what, what about people who think maybe I don't have anything, I, I don't have um, the qualifications necessary. Uh, is that something that you guys face or are you really more interested in candidates who already know what they have to offer, are ready to offer something and are, you know, really focused on developing uh, that, that, that pipeline to get to that pathway. So are you not in the interest of, of helping people make the switch in thinking that they can be a board member? Or are you looking for people who already know they want to be a board member? Well, and that's a uh, great question. We focus more on the latter because our intent is to move the needle. And the way to move the needle at this point is to get leading Latinos and Latinas at the board level, right? Um, So we're really focused on working with those that are are board ready. Yes. And what is board ready? Tell us what board ready is. (laughs) I mean, board. So on our website, there's definitions as to what a director member is and what executive member uh, is and the qualifying, what you need to have to qualify for it. So, I mean, we're looking for the, for executive members, they had to be C-suite or P&L leaders, which are profit and loss leaders, um, presidents of units and organizations could be on leading entrepreneurs, uh, former governor, uh, political officials. Like there's, different criterias. So the word board ready kind of is fluid, but the idea is that in a year to five years, you should be landing a board through the network that you're building because LCDA will not guarantee a board seat. We're not here. We're not, we're not recruiters per se. We're connectors. Mm. We connect our members to opportunities. We connect organizations to Latinos. And then we support the member along in their journey, mm-hmm. right? Their board journey. Maybe they need to talk to another member to for mentoring or for just ask a question or, you know, half the time, the people that most of the time, the people we work with are all experts. They're all leading executives in whatever context or business context they're in. Half the time, they just need to continue to build a network and have conversations with other Latinos that they might not be having with their white or Asian or black peers, right? Mm-hmm. So- so board ready is kind of a fluid, but it's kind of the idea that in one to five years, you land your, your a significant board. When I say significant board, that can be a public board and a major U.S. exchange. It could be a large private equity venture capital backed organization because at LCDA, we get tapped by all those kinds of um, opportunities, VC, private equity, public. Uh, we've supported federal home loan bank, federal reserve. So so when you talk about board ready, it's not to say that only C-level executives of public companies are board ready. It has different flavors. And as you can see through our member directory and through our profiles, we have um, entrepreneurs of $50 million companies. We have, you know, Aida Alvarez, who's on some of the biggest boards out there and uh, a great voice for us. So it's a really a plethora of backgrounds. And that's why we're becoming even more important for the community and for organizations because they're looking for a diversity of profiles. Got it. And personally, I mean, you're doing such great work professionally. How do you keep yourself going in, you know, COVID times and through all of this? Who are the three pivotal people in your life? 
three pivotal, uh, my husband for sure. Was did you get any flack for that? Right. Being a Latino, being in a gay relationship. Is this something that you had to overcome or is this something that was very embracing and maybe modern times made it more easy? (laughs) Well, that's like another podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think, I mean, uh, it it hasn't been a walk in the park. I mean, like um, my parents had issues with me being um, gay and we got through that period. And once again, it's because you know, love is powerful and they realized if they didn't accept it, then it would really, really extremely affect a relationship. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it was very hard for a period of time. And, and now with having my husband, well, one having an acceptance fam- on my family that accepts it has made everything so much easier, so much easier. Yeah. And I always say my husband is a pivotal because he really has allowed me, um, like, I know what I'm good at and I know what I'm not good at. Okay. And he knows that as well. Being on time is something I've learned only through him. Not being, I'm on time, but being like... Is he Latino like, too? <laughs> no, he's Polish. Oh, okay. So yeah, he's on time and you're not on time. <laughs> <laughs> so with him, I'm more like, we'll get there when we get there. Yeah, Don't yeah. worry. You know, <laughs> he's like, no, no, no. We have to be there. And trust me, it's worked out very well. So he has been really... And he's just very supportive of what I... Of, I mean, he listens. He just listens and he takes what he needs to take in. And the rest, he just... But but he, he it sounds like he's listening. Let's just say that. Yeah, and he's so and, he's Polish. Um, um, I went to my first Polish wedding like a, a year ago. Oh my gosh, Polish weddings are the best. I thought Latino weddings were. I thought Indian weddings were great. No, Polish weddings are amazing. <laughs> I actually haven't been to a Polish wedding. What? Um, most of the families back in Poland. She has a small family. And no one has gotten married, but so I actually have not been. Okay, to that's what you need to find your little recruiting research for. Like, how to get know, yourself invited to a Polish wedding? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Um, let's see. My kids right now. My kids really um, are pivotal, just because it, they're three and a half years old. Like they change every second. You know, they're always saying. Now they're saying important sentences, and yeah. we're get that like who told you you know like so they're 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 making my day exciting because i never know what they're gonna say uh and then the i mean i I can't pick three i mean i have a a great mentor that has really been by my side this whole entire time from um when i got my first job the the first my first boss i ever worked with oh yeah or uh, her Her. uh she has been just a great friend and resource. And I can't, cannot say, I ask also to include my, my sisters. I mean, they're, yeah, I you have to include like, your You're like my sisters too. <laughs> I, have, I have to include them. I mean, family's been extremely pivotal in the way that I think and we're really close and, and, and um, it just, all that kind of just ensures that I'm, it reminds me that I'm very fortunate. Yeah. Uh, to be very, surrounded very cool. by so many great people, such a great support system. Going back to that one mentor, though, the professional mentor, what was it about that, your first boss, that made it a, a special relationship in terms of, you know, developing? Well, I think I think ultimately they she allowed me to bring my full self to work. Mm. That really was extremely helpful um, that she had. Uh, a desire of knowing who I am both at work and personally really drove that relationship to, to where it is now. I think that was um, really pivotal in developing the relationship we have. And the other, I mean, it, it was my first kind of gig in this space and she really focused on ensuring that I was committed or that she committed herself to helping me learn. 
Mm-hmm. And there's this term called, you know, that term of, of thought of servant leadership, yeah. right? So she was in the trenches with me. She was, you know, I'll say she was the first person to make me cry because <laughs> at work I was, and, and I did it. And that, that vulnerability really, I think, opened us uh, to be more than just, uh, you know, um, boss, co- boss, employee kind of relationship. And I have to say, I do that with all my other bosses, but I think that just kind of allowed for us to have a relationship that was really in tuned to creating something that was good for both her and I. Got it. Um, just, I've been maximizing that, that opportunity, that relationship, um, because I know it's very important. I know it's been helpful to me and I know for her as well, it has been um, helpful and just having this relationship. I don't, and you know, I guess I'm also very, uh, I always say that to, to my husband, I'm like, I was, I'm spoiled. I was spoiled when I first started my corporate gifts because I know I worked with a great, you know, a great leader. Yeah. And I think it's super pivotal. We work, pivotal have some like that. We work 10 hours plus days with our, the same people over and over. You have to enjoy where you work. You have to enjoy who you're doing it with. And I do, you know, I spend more time with them than I do with my own family. And um, having these, those kinds of individuals or seeking those kind of individuals out is pretty important. But also the most important is maintaining them. Yeah. And cultivating that relationship over time. Yeah, mm-hmm, doing absolutely. the the lunches or the coffees or the call, the phone call. That's that, a lot of people miss the follow up. Yeah, yeah, the text. I mean, I think when you when you break the barrier when you get into the texting mode. <laughs> that's like, All right, we got it. We're we're, we're cool. Right, we're uh, cool. <laughs> yeah, we're cool. And then the, when you send the first meme or the first the uh, GIF. <laughs> yeah, the first GIF, that's when you go into a different tier of relationship. This is so true. This is how you know what type of relationship you actually have with people. What level? Yeah, yeah, what level of texting are you? A hundred percent. I think that actually that's yeah. We just came up with something. Huh? <laughs> we did. Well, I it was great talking to you. I, I wish we had more time and I am fascinated to hear more about um, the, the growth over the next year and would love to have you on again uh, so we can continue to, to have this conversation. More than ha- more than have. I think there's a lot of great work ahead for those interested in what we're doing. Latino Corporate Directors Association. It's, you know, our website is www.latinocorporatedirectors.org. Um and happy to have any conversations, get connected to anyone. And thank you, Andrea, for letting me have this conversation oh, with you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Tuesdays with Andrea. There are hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there, and I appreciate you making the time to listen to mine. If you like this show and want to know more, check out TuesdaysWithAndrea.com or please leave a review on iTunes or drop a line in the YouTube comment section. Until next time, please stay kind in your mind, nice on the web, and stay hella hopeful in your heart.